with my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. A few years ago, my sister joined a circus school, and when I was out to visit her in Vancouver, I got to go and try out some circus school stuff. Things that, as a kid, I always watched these performers do and say, I wonder how they do that. So I got to learn how to spin up a plate and how to juggle and don't ask me to show you. Because when I say I learned, I say that in the loosest possible way. It's fun getting a bit of a behind-the-scenes look, a bit about how do they do that, right? Anytime I see a magician, first thing I want to know is, how do you do that? And every now and then, a magician acts like they're going to tell you, and then they let you down, right? Well, today, now I know you've all been wondering this, how does he do that? How does the preacher do it? So I'm going to give you a little bit of a behind the scenes. This is how a preacher does it. Well, there you go. That's it. <laughs> Just kidding. There are a few schools of thought, and there's one that says you've got to give people an actionable item they can take away every sermon. Something they can go away and say, this is what I'm going to do this week. And then there's another school of thought that says you should never tell people what to do, because people are told what to do all the time. They don't need that. Well, I kind of What do you think? <laughs> Which school of thought do I land in? I don't like to tell you what to do very much. So I don't. But I justify it for great theological reasons. I believe each one of us has the Holy Spirit in us. And when we hear scripture, when we gather in church, when we hear a preacher say something, the Holy Spirit can work in us and tell us how we might apply that in our lives. I also think that if someone is telling you a good thing you should do week after week after week, uh, if you're like me, you might not do that good thing week after week after week. And then you have a whole list of things to feel guilty about because you didn't do them, right? And no one's come to church to feel more guilt. Am I right? Can I get an amen? Yeah. Okay, but here's the thing. Sometimes people say, Brandon, can you give us something practical we can do? So, we're going to try that today. I've also been asked by the stewardship team to give four sermons a year on the theme of stewardship. So we're going to talk practically about money and why you should give more of it to the church. <laughs> there you go, sermon over. <laughs> okay. When I preach, I normally like to talk about the stories in Scripture, right? And I like to draw out themes from the story and try and find some connections with our modern life. Mostly to say, what has God done in the story of Scripture? What is God doing in the story of our lives? And what might God be doing in the future that we can lean into and do with God? So, let's talk about the story in just a little bit. We have the story today of Solomon. And Solomon becoming king and praying for wisdom. 
There's a lot more to the story of Solomon that we didn't hear. And I understand that in Sunday school, they're going to be building temples. Because this was something Solomon did. Solomon was famous for building the great temple in Jerusalem. Well, Solomon, with all that wisdom, had people flocking to Israel, at least as the, as the Bible tells us. People were coming to see this man, hear his great wisdom, and bring him some gifts and some tribute. So here's very powerful Solomon, getting all these people coming to him, giving him treasure, giving him gold, and that's why we're talking about stewardship today, because we're, trying to, we're not trying to build temples. We have everything we need. We're building a spiritual temple, aren't we? But in the Psalms story, as in many of the stories with the kings, it starts out great. This is great prayer. Humility, wisdom is his prayer. But things really go downhill. All that fame goes to his head. He's got people seeking him out. And the more famous people come to see him, the more he starts to think, aren't I great? And things start to go badly. Let's back up to the big story. We've been looking from the beginning in creation all the way through the biblical story as things sort of unfold in order. And it starts with this good creation, but things go a bit off, and God says, I want to try and fix that. And the way God tries to do that is to join with people. And so God calls the people of Israel and makes them three promises. One, I'm going to give you land. Two, I'm going to give you lots of descendants. You're going to be a great nation. And three, I'm going to bless you so that you can bless all the people of the earth. I'm going to bless you so you can bless all the people of the earth. And that thread kind of gets forgotten when we get to the kings, David, Solomon, Nahat. They're in nation building mode. They're in temple building mode. And they've forgotten why. It's not just for them. It's not just so they can look at this great thing they've built and said, aren't we great? It's so that somehow the building of this people can be a blessing to the world around them. They've lost track of that big story scripture is telling is what God wants to do to heal relationships, to restore communities, to bring life where it looks like there is death, to bring hope, to bring joy. So, let's talk about money. Do you feel life and hope and joy when you talk about money? You don't have to answer. You can just think about it. Money is a very important part of our spiritual life. Uh, some say that God's not even interested in your spiritual life. God's interested in your whole life. And money is a big part of our life. In fact, Jesus spends more time talking about money than just about anything else. Why is that? I think for the same reason as what we see in that big story. Because God blesses Israel so that they can go and bless others. And so Jesus wants us to think of all the blessings that we have, and money is one of them, as a way that we can bless others. So, I said we get practical. Let's get practical. How much should I give to the church? And how should I give to the church? Here's my two hot tips for how to give to the church. One, give regularly whether that's weekly or monthly or yearly, 
Make it regular. Make it something that you do as a practice, as, as a, maybe even as a discipline, something that you do. And how much should I give? Enough that you notice. Enough that you notice. I won't give you a number. Um, the Old Testament biblical standard was 10% of your income. Whatever you notice. Enough that you notice. Um, give it away that you notice because it's a spiritual practice. It's a spiritual practice that shapes us and forms us. And as we give in a way that we notice, and as we give in a disciplined and regular way, then that does something to us. That shapes us. That, that impacts the kind of person that we are. So as we give consciously, our hands open up. And I think that this is one of the most important spiritual postures we can have, is opening hands, letting things go, not holding on to anything too tightly. And if we start doing that with money, we start doing that with time, we start doing that with relationships, we don't have to control people who they are to make them be who we want them to be for us, but we can let people be who they are. We can open up our hands to a lot of things. And when our hands are open, we're not holding on to anything too tightly, we can also receive. We're also in a posture to receive. So by giving, we're ready to receive. We can apply this with money, we can apply this with many things. On Friday night, Michael Harvey came and spoke with a group of us about how to be an inviting church, not just a welcoming church. When people do come, you know, we're very kind to them, we hope they have a good time. Um, but inviting, we actually invite people in. And I think this is a sort of act of spiritual generosity to say, we've got something good here. I want to share that with you. I want you to have a chance to, to try it out and see if it works for you, to see if there's something good here for you. I believe it was a uh, former Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, who said, the church exists as much for its non-members as much as it exists for its members. It exists for our non-members as much as for our members. And one of the lines Michael Harvey used the other night was, was to start praying for and thinking about the next generation of people who will worship at Christ Church. Not just the congregation we have, but the congregation that we will have we hope to have, that we hope God brings to us. And so we have spiritual practices like giving that help us to open our hands, help us to be generous with